Without Away podcast, everyone. We have a really great guest for you all to listen to today. And I can't believe that this is probably the longest conversation we've had so far that we've actually had to, to, to separate it into three parts. Who are three we talk- parts. Three parts. Four. Who are we talking to today, my dear? Well, we are talking to Kim Jackson today, who is an amazing, amazing, talented actor amongst many other things. Yeah, entrepreneur, business lady, coach. She has done so many different things, writing, producing. Uh, She's done so many amazing things across the industry that uh, she's got so much experience to share both in the Australian market and the US market, which I thought was fascinating. Which is why we needed three parts. Which is why we needed three parts. (laughs) So without further ado, here is part one of our conversation with the amazing Kim Jackson. Welcome everyone to another episode of The Cutaway, a podcast about film, television and the people who dedicate their lives to the craft services. I am one of your hosts. My name is Jess Hutchinson. I'm an actor, a writer, a producer. I can now say I'm an award-winning one of all of those things. (laughs) And with me, as always, is the delightful... Lucinda Bruce, uh, who is also a producer, but not an actor. Um, And I am also an award-winning producer with the same award and previous ones as well. Um, But yeah, and then of course we also have with us... Corey Welsh, and I'm your friendly neighbourhood audio editor. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time we've been able to introduce Corey to you all properly, having uh, valiantly recorded all of the other episodes solo previously. And let me just tell you, we are so, 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 so happy and relieved to have Corey with us and his amazing magic wizardry audio skills. Poor Corey. Thank you very much. (laughs) But we aren't just here to talk about our wonderful audio wizard and us as as amazing people in the film industry. We're here to talk to our special guest, who I'm so, so excited to introduce to all of you. It is the wonderful, amazing, also award-winning, delightful actor, business owner, coach extraordinaire called... Car car rental person. Car rental person (laughs) as well. Kim Jackson, everybody. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I am so excited that we that we have you on this podcast because I heard about you a million, what feels like a million years ago when I was thinking about moving to LA and I was thinking like, how do I really prepare myself for this, this epic journey that I want to go on? How do I prepare myself? And then of course, someone said to me, you know, someone's written a book about that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and of course they said, you need to go and check out Kim's book. It's amazing. It's going to tell you literally everything you know from A to Z of what you need to do before you get there. And they were right. That is an epic, epic book that you wrote. How did you even begin the process of compiling that together? Because that is that is such a beast of a tome. Every person and their dog was literally like emailing me saying, hey, my friend recommended I reach out to you and, you know, take you for coffee, take you for lunch and pick your brains about Hollywood. And so all these Aussies would come out and literally it got to the point where once or twice a week I was seeing people and kind of giving them information. It eventually got to the point where I would kind of say to them, look, what, do you, you know, what, what, what questions do you have? Here's a cut and paste of the previous emails that I've sent to people. I'm going to add your questions to it. And so eventually it kind of became this thing where it was like, well, here's all the answers that I've given previously and here's the answers to your questions. And so then, and people just kept saying, dude, you should write a book. So you should write a book. And everyone at the time was saying, someone needs to write a book about all this stuff. And I kind of accidentally, you know, I was like, I'll just, I'll just do up like a PDF and then I can kind of, you know, send that out and, and give it to everyone when they move over. But then it just got 
big, I'm so systematic and so like, I just have to like dig deeper and, and give so much detail. And, um, it became longer and longer. And then the funny thing is I had this guy staying at my house. And I didn't really want to hang out with him, but we kind of like, <laughs> he sort of moved in because we were half sort of not like dating a little bit, but it was, he was just staying for like a week or even a weekend, maybe. I can't remember, but I was like, I think it was like a week. And I was like, oh, I'm really, really busy writing this book. I'm really busy writing this book. And so I just was like writing the book the whole time. And I accidentally got it up to like, from like 40 pages to like 80 pages in the space of a couple of days. And I was like, oh, gee, shit, I wrote a book. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> like, and then, of course, you know, cut to four years later when I finally released it and it was, you know, this 300-page textbook um, that covers just everything. And so it really was just to uh, really av avoid someone that I, I didn't want to talk to mostly <laughs> my motivation. Um, no, I didn't talk to him. I just didn't want to, like, go out with him. <laughs> so so that's, that's the secret to writing a book is invite somebody into your home that you don't want to spend time with. <laughs> got it now. Okay, so it. I love it. It's a so great trick. I was. I also didn't have a dog or a baby at the time, so I had a lot more time on my hands. <laughs> I love That's that. That's awesome. Yeah. I. I also have this thing where, like, knowledge is like, if it's inside my brain, I have to get it out. Like, I have to. It's like, I'm. I can't not share it and I'm I, I write so easily I've written eight feature films and I've never had writer's block in my life I just wow. don't I, I don't get it I, I don't get writer's block I just I love writing and it's so much fun for me and so for me like sharing knowledge with people it just makes me so happy I love taking big complex ideas and diluting them down into a palatable format for the layman or the person who's new at something to make it really easily easy and, and to structure it in a way that's really digestible and so I think that's um I think that's like a passion of mine is translating I suppose mm. did you have someone do that for you when you were looking to move to LA because you had an acting career obviously here before you decided to make the leap or did you just dive in oh dude first? I totally did not have an acting career here I had done like 50 <laughs> short films maybe I got to the point where I was like I had to have been the most in-demand short film actress who would work for free <laughs> in all of Australia. I got to the point where I was like double booked on short films every weekend for probably the whole year and a half that I lived in Sydney. Like it wow. was relentless. Um, Can you call yourself an actor if you haven't been that? I mean, come on. <laughs> <It's> so <true>. <laughs> <laughs> None of them I've seen. I don't think I've seen hardly any of them. Um, but, but I had so much fun. And, um, and uh, I think I did maybe one or two professional jobs when I first, you know, started when I was like 18. But, but really, I, I wasn't even getting into casting rooms until like six weeks before I left Sydney. I really started getting into audition rooms. And then I just, and, you know, an opportunity came up to work for an insane billionaire and I took it in Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, like every good story starts with an insane billionaire who lives in Absolutely. Hollywood, right, Lucinda? <laughs> That's very true. Very true. That's awesome. <laughs> a few of them around. And, and then mine followed with then, you know, quitting the job and living in a storage room in a haunted basement of the building that Charlie Chaplin used to live in with a cricket mm. as my only pet. So it was all just a weird and awesome time. <laughs> okay, haunted. Need details. What type of haunted? Scary. <laughs> like I could feel it. And then one night my neck went out and I I always knew that there were ghosts if the cricket stopped chirping. And I was Ooh. like, as long as the cricket 
is chirping. I'm fine. And the cricket stopped chirping and I'm laying there and my neck's gone out and I can't get out of the bed. And I'm like the futon next to cases of green tea and, mm. and, um, uh, paper in the storage room that I was sleeping in. And, and, um, yeah, literally, like literally I just said to the girl, like, I was like, whatever ghosts are here, have at it. There's nothing I can do. So, you know, and I'm defenseless. And I was like, oh, either they're super chill or they don't exist. So at that point I stopped being scared. (laughs) I was, I thought you were about to say that they were the reason your neck got thrown out. Like someone was like, like a ghost was trying to stand on your neck or something. I was like, I was seriously waiting for you to say something like that. I would probably be in some sort of institution if that had happened. I could (laughs) I can't even watch horror films. No. So for me, the idea that I could physically interact with a ghost, I, I just, no, no, thank you. <laughs> Although I do have a really cool feature film idea about a ghost situation. So <laughs> well, you should write it then. You have no problem writing. You that's, write that's, I have no problem. It's true. My, my problem now is time. Yes. <laughs> is oh, running a membership thing. site with several mm. hundred members where I keep on promising features and then I have to scramble to create the feature that I've just promised. <laughs> While you're juggling a newborn baby. A newborn baby. <laughs> it yes. can look after itself kind of and, by now. It's a few months I, old, isn't it? <laughs> He's eight, he's eight months old, so I do have be working already. Now. Should be working. Yeah, he really should cake. be. Paying off his IVF bills, seven yeah. rounds of IVF. That exactly. kid's come into the world with a debt. <laughs> well, as, <laughs> as an IVF kid, I have to say, hey. like, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I'm so. I'm so appreciative of the journey that you went on just because I know what my mum had to go through. But oh, also, true. your kid is so lucky because you know how some parents say. Oh, you like you were you were like an unexpected baby or an accident. (laughs) Your baby and I can now basically say, "Hey, we were really deliberate. Like we were so deliberate. We were expensive." Uh huh. Oh yeah. Oh, very expensive. Very very good point. That is an awesome point, actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm saving it for stand-up material if I ever end up doing that one day. (laughs) (laughs) Just be like, I'm so expensive. I got a price tag. <laughs> Massive price tag. Lucy, you should ask a question now. Well, I was going to ask, you know, so obviously you moved into this uh, into this basement. Um, how did you, what was the sort of uh, transformation then from that to sort of, I know it's a big step, but where you are today and, and what you're doing, sort of how did it you was, work your way through that? You know, it's funny. It was kind of like a, a, it was a really slow process. And the reason for that, I guess that's part of why writing the book was so important to me was, you know, I didn't have anyone just saying to me, no, you have to get an agent. You really have to follow up with them. And so I was like, I can do it myself. Uh, mm. It was just ego. You know, I can do it myself. I'll do self-submissions. I'll go to casting workshops. I'll meet all the casting directors. I'll email them directly when I hear about something casting. And I really thought that I could run a professional acting career myself without help. And I would, you know, along the way, I'd get a manager here or there and, and maybe one out of six jobs might have come through them at the time but I didn't realize how important it was to have really solid representation and agent and how important it also was to really hound them like I remember sending out my DVD demo reel to around 80 or 90 agencies and the only person who responded was a literary agent that I'd accidentally sent it to saying oh this script you talk about in your letter sounds interesting I'd love to discuss it and we ended up almost going into production on one of my films but um but none oh. of the acting agents got back to me and, and I didn't know to, to follow up. I didn't know to email them. I didn't know to 
um, you know, do, do any of any of the things to call them to follow up, whatever. And and so it was just a shame because I remember sitting down with a manager, an agent once, and they were like, "Where?" Have, they looked at my stuff, and it was all this indie stuff that I kind of sourced myself, and they're like where have you been? Like, actually the way I got one of my managers was I, a friend of mine had an audition, like a friend from acting class or something had an audition for a manager. And he's like, I need a reader. Can you come in with me? And she sent him out and was like, this is really awkward, but I want to rep you, not him. She's like, are you okay with that? I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, hmm, let me think honest, about it. Yes. <laughs> like, I just wasn't proactive enough about actually just getting represented. I really thought I could do it on myself, but I didn't realize how important it was to have a mentor and have guidance. And actually the interesting thing is the first time I really had a, an agent, an acting agent, as opposed to just a manager was because I became a business coach for actors. I mean, it was that far along in the process. I became a business coach for actors. And in that coaching program, part of it was that I would coach with one of the other coaches in the program, Ben Whitehair, who was like, what are you talking about? You don't have an agent. And I'm like, well, I just have managers. And the managers are always like, you don't need an agent. You've got me. And I'll, he's like, no, no, that's no, that's not true. You need both. And I was like, well, you know, and so I sort of, he's like, well, do you have anyone with an agency that could refer you in? And because I was like, well, I've, you know, I've, I've reached out to agents. It's like seven years ago via written letter <laughs> and DVD, um, you know, I reached out to agents seven years and this is after the books published, you know, at this point. So you think I would know better. And so, um, you know, and even in the book now I read it and it says it's, you know, you can't get an agent without a referral or it's really hard to get an agent without a referral. And I now know that's not true. Mm. And so, you know, in the update of the book, I have to kind of, add to it in a way you know because it was published in 2014 god you know i've learned so much since then and quite um, a lot has changed you know as absolutely. well within the industry mm. itself you know a lot definitely of things have changed. and i had learned so much up to that point so the look i read the book and i'm like jesus this is i, I love it like i'm so i'm so i'm so obsessed with it i just think it's so, i'm so proud of it yeah, you should be um, as you should be yeah but i do read little things like that and i'm like oh no that's not true no, <laughs> no, no, i need to how can I add like a little addendum to that somewhere? Yeah. So, well, so, I feel like the Secret Actor Society is is your way of is doing that, right? It really yeah, is. yeah, but like I, in an epic, had, epic way. I've had someone say like, "This video contradicts what you say in the book." I'm like, "Yes, it does." <laughs> <laughs> it also postdates it. <laughs> um, but but anyway, this guy was like, "You know, do you have anyone who can refer you to an agent?" I'm like, "Well, my ex boyfriend's always saying he wants to refer me to his agent, but it's just got such a ridiculous name. I don't want to go." And he's like, well, "What's the agency name?" I'm like, "Aqua." And I'm like, "I just feel like that would like what kind of actors is going to be are going to be represented by an agency called Aqua Talent?" And I'm thinking of all these like cute little whatever girls like, you know, tiptoeing around in their stilettos and it's just not the kind of actor that I, you know, mm. saw myself as or ever have been. Mm. And um, I signed, you know, I, I reached out to him through the, the coach kind of forcing me to and um, he sent my stuff off and, and even my ex, you know, Dylan, who's one of my best buddies today, 
was like, oh, she very rarely gets back to me. I don't think she's ever gotten back to me. At the time, I think it was like she's never gotten back to me when I've referred someone. So don't get your hopes up. And she wrote back to him within half an hour just saying, you know, when can I meet her? Um, and, you know, she's amazing when can I meet her. And I was like, I really should have done this sooner because as soon as I, I signed with Courtney, um, and she's just been such a champion of mine since then, um, I signed with her and I booked my first ever pilot like two months later or something. Wow. And I think I booked something like seven or eight TV shows and feature films in that year. And I sort of, at the time, I think I was 34 or something. And so I just sort of think, Jesus, that's quite, you know, that's quite far along to be getting, really getting your first agent after living in Hollywood for 15 years or for 10 years at the time. And, and you know, I just think, geez, what a silly head. Like why, why <laughs> just have someone being like, no, get your head out of your ass and, and push for an agent. Cause she's essentially really made my career. And, and the, and, you know, and the other agency that has done that as well is, is Landrum talent, which the only way I ended up signing with them was because my, I took my friend Jennifer Blanc to a film premiere and she's like, Oh, that's so sweet. I took her to the premiere of Adventureland. And she's like, oh, my God, that's so sweet of you to invite me. She's like, let me, I want to do something for you. Let me, let me give you my agent. And I was like, what? <laughs> let me give me your agent. I got a little agent in Louisiana. You know, they're really lovely. I'll, I'll send you stuff to them. And, and she referred me into them, Landrum Arts, Dawn and George, who are just the sweetest people on earth. And, um, and I've been with them, and, you know, for, for longer than I've been with Courtney, but they're local hire. So that, you know, mm. it wasn't like I had an LA agent, but I had a Louisiana agent and I've booked five or six huge jobs through them. And, and I think that was really probably what kept me in the industry. And then I signed with Courtney maybe two or three years later. And that was, um, uh, and that's when I really started actually getting a huge density of work. So realizing, I guess the short answer to the question is just realizing how much doing going it alone it not only isn't necessary but it's really hard because you mm. just don't have access to the same information i mean i was emailing casting all the time saying hey you know i saw you casting this role i'd love to read for it and they'd bring me in but you know i might have done that once or twice you know either a day or a week depending on the week whereas my agent's doing that 30 times a day yeah mm. you know so you just you're exposed to so much more and so knowing that to have someone in your corner who's a professional and also to have a coach you know, teaching you or pushing you and, and motivating you. Um, and that's why I was a really horrible coach. I, I still coach a little bit. Like I see. Yeah, you do. I see a few <laughs> people. I know, Jess, we talked about a session. But I, I see a few people a month, but I was seeing 15 a week. Wow. And um, I booked 15 because I knew that at least three of them, if I was doing my job right, at least three of them would have to cancel for an audition. Um, yeah. And so I would see like 12 people a week with 15 booked. And, and I, I was horrible to people like the guys that wanted to be like the sexy leading man would come in and they'd have like, like, you know, pudge around their stomach. And I'd be like, what the fuck is this? What's going on? I thought you said you were coming back with abs this week. Like what the hell's going on? I was like a really mean guy. <laughs> I loved it. Actually, two of my guys were military guys and they knew each other and one had referred the other one in. And um, they were like, we're more scared of you than we are of our drill sergeants. <laughs> I mean, like, you really do have a way of cutting through, right? Like, like we've, we've chatted about things, you know, to do with my own career. And the thing that I actually love about you is your bluntness. Like, you don't want to dance around. You actually no. want to get to the point, which I adore. Because well, it doesn't help people. I just, no. you know what it is? I was such a narcissist idiot, you know, so dumb, thinking I could do everything myself. 
And I just wish someone, you know, the few times in my life that someone had the balls to slap me around the ears and be like, no, dude, what the hell are you? Am I allowed to swear? I don't even know. Yeah, totally. Swear away. Okay. Yeah. What the, you know, what the fuck are you doing? Like, seriously. And and like, it just, it had such an impact on me when they did. It really changed my trajectory. And so for me, I always see someone giving you that slap as you can either be the victim and be like, oh, they said I need to fix my teeth, which I had to fix my teeth, but no one told me for like eight years. You know, they said I need to fix my teeth. Or instead be like, oh, shit, I actually, yeah, that's really going to help me book more roles. And so it's it's knowing to 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 do it in a nurturing, be mean in a nurturing way. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the, the good thing is like, you know, and, and it's not, you're not saying those things because you're being you know, you're being a, a judgmental, materialistic kind of person. Like, oh, you're dude, being- I have no judgment. I've like been, <laughs> I've been the skankiest little white trash girl from Logan City. Like, all the mischief. I there is. I have no place to judge any human but, in this. But this world. is the thing, right? Right. This is the thing. Like, you, the, every advice that I've seen you give to to people, whether it's one on one or in in the group, the group coaching that you do for Secret Actor Society. You know, it's it's very much matter of fact information about the business right because i think totally. especially here in australia we're quite sheltered you know we don't have the level of competitiveness that we do in in la right oh yeah and yeah. and all the access to the different so, so we do act like we do <laughs> <laughs> it's just unfortunately like a limited amount of work you can actually get after whereas yeah. in la you could spend literally 16 hours a yeah. day chasing every different job reaching out to all the people and you would still have another 16 hours of work to do the next mm-hmm. day totally Totally. But you've got to, you've got to be, you've got to be really realistic. I think that's one of the best things, you know, working with coaches that are actually working actors in LA who know what it's like day in, day out to have to go through the motions that you're going through when you're self-submitting, when you're working with your reps, you know, it's, it's so completely not what I expected when when I started working with coaches that were like, including you, you know, I I think it's, I think it's a really important thing if, if people are really seriously considering, and I think this applies to people that, you know, aren't just actors, but you know, if you want to be a writer over in LA, if you want to be a producer of an LA, you really need to get your head in that game and out of the game that you're in in Australia, because you're just not going to be prepared for it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's so intense over there. And it really is. It's the funny thing is it's less cutthroat in LA. Um, in LA, there's so much, there's such an abundance of work. Um, no one feels, there's not the scarcity. I, I feel, you know, no. in Australia, the agents here, I can't believe how hard it is to get an agent here if you haven't been to one of the three big schools. Yeah. Um, I can't, and I can't believe how, like, I, it, it, it really fe- it feels like such a closed shop. I feel like sometimes when I talk to filmmakers here, they're like, like they're like, oh, why am I talking to an actor? Like, uh, uh, but not not all of them, you know. It's just so, like whereas in LA, people are really genuinely interested in meeting everyone in the industry. And I think you know, there's like ten percent of an element of fear, like that person might get famous next week, which happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm be nice to everybody. You just never but, know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. But in Australia, it really does feel like if you're an actor, like, oh, you must just do a bunch of ads. And it's like, oh, and, you know, every actor, if they know, like, one producer, they're, like, clinging to that person as though they're going to make or break their career where it's like or that in one LA film, you just. Or that one film that they've yeah. done, you know, that they think is going to yeah. make or break their career. It's like. Yeah. 
Well, I remember when I was like 18, I did my first ever short film um, and I thought I was going to get famous from it. I don't even think I ever finished it. It was like an unpaid short film and I was like, this is my break, rah, rah, rah. Like, come on. It's so fun. It's such a funny industry here because it's only just really kind of coming into its own it's only just feeling mm-hmm. expansive enough that the scarcity vibe is 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 mm. uh, dissipating a little and it's beautiful to see it um, but it was always so sad coming home you know I would come home and I'd reach out to all the agents even with my resume which was pretty strong and every year it was getting stronger you know mm. a lot of network credits a lot of familiar stuff films where I'm opposite some big names and stuff and and still the agents here you know wouldn't you know they wouldn't respond or I would get like these generic emails back from my pitches and I'm like you just sent me a copy paste email like at least in LA I would get a a decent you know they would write back and yeah yeah, it would be a conversation of some form something respectful and it sometimes feels like Australia um Australia can disappoint um, mm. in that way because I know that, that they could be better at that, at, at I, treating actors well. Definitely. I definitely struggled because I started producing in North America rather than starting here oh, in Australia. Yeah. I produced in North America first. And ah. so when I came back here, it was it was almost, it was weird because it was like a culture shock in my own country within the industry. And I was just like, is this really, I've had more issues here, more problems here, trying to make films more more roadblocks, more altercations and disagreements with people here. They've almost yeah. got that, you know, almost what they think they need to have that big Hollywood personality, but it's not, that's not yeah. what they're like over there. Like, no, it's not. Everyone in Hollywood's so cool. <laughs> they're so helpful. Like, they they want to meet yeah. you. They want to talk to you. They want to be a, like, they want to help, you know, like people Because will people are just you. excited about storytellers. They are. They're just they like, oh, cool. It. Awesome. What's your film about? And you know, what I find as well is there's so much less judgmental of, mm the quality of the films as well. Yeah. They're like, wow, man, like you made a movie. You, If yeah. you produced a feature film, anyone who, you know, someone could have produced a $20 million feature film. And if you've produced a feature film for 50 grand, they're like, fuck yeah, dude, that's yeah. hard. Like, you know, good on you. Like they're so supportive and, and, and yeah, supportive and also defensive of like, yeah. you know, if anyone says anything bad about it, I know that I've seen it happen many times where producers will jump in, uh, bigger producers will jump in and be like, yeah, but they fucking got it done. Like, like right. yeah, that special effect didn't work. Yeah, that moment. Yeah, the editing could have done it with a polish or whatever. But, you know, geez, man, like look what they put together for 200 grand or 300 grand or whatever. Whereas, um, yeah, sometimes it feels like things get get ripped ripped a little more here. Definitely. I do. Yeah. I've seen that happen. A lot, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and while I'm very realistic about some of the films I've done, I know they're not Academy Award winning films. You know, you, you, it's still, it's always good to have people be honest with you about your film. It's always good to have honest, you know, feedback. But I think some people just try to undermine it. You know, it's that mm. tall poppy syndrome. I think we've, and we've mentioned mm. it before, but it's that tall poppy syndrome that sort of is, exists in Australia. And unfortunately, if you even raise your head above others, they like to just try and cut you off at the legs and say, no, nah, it was a shit film. Totally. Oh, really? That got distribution? How did that totally. happen? <laughs> I, I, I remember one of these, the weirdest moments of my life was I was like the top 10 in Miss World Australia. And my question was who's, and I'm like, I don't know how old I was, like 19 at the time or something. My question was who's the young Australian that you admire the most? And I thought for a second and I was like, 
me. The whole audience was dead silent. It was a massive room. There had to be like 2,000 people there. Dead silent for like, I reckon a solid 15 seconds. And that's a long time in a room with audience. And then they all just started applauding and gave this huge standing ovation. But it was like me being proud of myself had broken their brains. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And of course, my mom's like, "You should have said Delta Goodrum." <laughs> like, of course, because that's what that's what everyone would say. And but it's mm. it's such a like, it's such a it's such an example of mm. Australians being so uncomfortable with being proud of themselves and so uncomfortable with with yes. talking about their achievements and being, you know, like. You know, for instance, I, I'm sure it would feel odd for some people, me being like, no, my book's fucking awesome, man. Like, because I've done so many things that are shit. I know when I do something great, I'm like, <laughs> you know, many of my films suck. Some of them are great. You know, my book is awesome. <laughs> like, oh. But for Australians, it's very, very odd because you're supposed to just be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's all right. I threw it together, whatever. Like, it's like, mm. no, man, I worked my ass off for five years and this is what I put together. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure it's not without its faults. It doesn't have a single typo. I'm sure it's not without its faults. But it's fucking awesome. But as you pointed out before, some of the information's outdated, but you're aware Absolutely. of that and you're updating it. So it's like totally. people even and have something to say about that and you're like, well, yeah, because I wrote it, you know, quite a few I, years ago now. Because I wasn't psychic eight years ago. <laughs> totally. it, you weren't. It, it even says that in the book. It says, look at the, you know, please look at the publishing date of this or any other book. And, and acknowledge that, you know, make sure that you're aware of whether the content is current or not. Um, yeah. And that's such an important factor as well. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, I think it's important to, um, to when you go to L.A., I think it's important to take advantage of the fact that you're Australian and, um, and really use that as an angle. Like, why is this person, why does this person want to take me to lunch? I was just saying this and I had a coaching, uh, one of the Zoom group coaching sessions a couple of, like two hours ago. Um, and um, I was just saying that to the group that, that um, you know, it, to take advantage of the fact that you're Australian because people think Australians are like, oh, they're so cute. Oh, they're so, yeah. they're so cute. Aren't they just friendly? They love Aren't they just delightful? And it's like, take advantage of that. To ask people to lunch when it's weirdly inappropriate and too soon in the friendship, like, you know, don't don't um, don't be afraid mm. to to say if you've done something awesome or if you, you know, or to to let people know where your skills lie. Like I said it, I used to say it all the time. I'm I'm a very average comedic actress and a extremely good dramatic actress, mm. and. Um, now my comedy's gotten better over time since I've worked on it and, and booked quite a few comedies, but it's still a work in progress. Whereas my dramatic stuff is like, you know, like breathing to me. I don't even have to, you know, I don't have to think do about you, it. Do you think there's an element of because we have to work 10 times harder here to prove that we're good enough or to impress our friends that when we go to places like America and it's not quite the same mindset or attitude towards filmmaking and we go in there giving 150% because we feel like we have to do that. That's what I sort of, that's my theory is that people tend to love us because we're just doing 150% and giving it all in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge factor. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I think another thing is Aussies have, I think that one of the main differences is 
because Australia is smaller, and I think it's just a population thing, um, because Australia is smaller, it feels like the attitude in Australia is everyone is a friend until proven an enemy, whereas in America, a lot of the time, everyone's an enemy until proven a friend. And so um, the Australian, you know, yes, in the industry, it can be quite closed door and hard to kind of relate or meet people who are of a different perceived status level to you because they're clinging to that status so hard. Um, I think we have less fear of people. And, and so I think we're just more open and, and, um, and by being open, we're able to be completely ourselves, which is what gives us oftentimes an easier um, way to access natural performances because we're mm-hmm. actually ourselves and we're more connected to ourselves. Whereas I think, especially for women in America, they're, they're trying so hard to be this image of femininity that mm-hmm. they constantly they're up in their upper register all the time and it's like they're up here and and it's not like connected to their gut you know like Mm. it's a different I think a lot of Aussie girls tend to have that like you know that they're speaking from their gut they're speaking from their heart they're not up in their heads um trying to be something they're not and so anyway yeah because of all that and the lack of fear Aussies can just pitch in they can just be your best friend straight away mm. like there is that that kind of freedom um and I think it really just comes from the whole system in each country mm, it's fascinating really I didn't mean to go that deep. no no I, I think it's, it's, it's <laughs> this is you know perfect. it's a very important sort of discussion I think because you know it's it is part of um you know we're experiencing it every single day, you know, we're in different, I mean, I, I travel between the two industries mm. and the difference is quite stark in so yeah. many ways. And it's, and sometimes I have trouble figuring out, you know, wait, is it better here because of this or is it worse? I'm not sure. Mm. You know, Sometimes it feels better. Sometimes it feels worse. So oh, either totally. way, it does feel more challenging here to, mm. to sort of get recognition or to to achieve the things that you want to achieve or when you do there's always issues sort of relating to it but over there it's it's uh you do feel just people like willing to help out and hey yeah no meet, oh, meet my totally. friend meet my friend he's like this famous producer and then you meet him and they're like one of the top 10 producers and you're like for real oh, yeah. holy oh, cow yeah. like you're just introducing me to him yeah <laughs> you know yeah. oh here's my here's one of my investors okay <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's pretty, it, it's, it's, it is a weird thing that the mm. industry, I, I think, and I think again, it just comes through as a product of scarcity. It yeah, comes as a product sure. of there's more, there's just more to go around there. Yeah. And I think that's going to happen anytime there's a shortage of something, you know, for instance, in Australia with the industry is that it's, it's limited. So people cling to what they've got. Yeah. yeah. Very true. Very true. I'm always saying to my friends, like when your friend gets famous, give them like five years to acclimate. Because mm. as they're, as they're like on their way up, they're going to be spending so much time looking up, they're not going to have time to look down. But once they get to a place and kind of acclimate there, then they're going to relax. Then they're going to kind of, you know, reach back the elevator out and, back down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're going to kind of want... They're going to want their OG crew around as mm. well. But when, when they're walking, you know, when they're heading up there, a lot of, I have a, a few people who've sort of, had their feelings hurt by their friend mm. blowing up and not having time for them anymore or whatever. And it just, it, when they're on their way up, a lot of the time they can't make that time. But once yeah. they get there, it's it's a lot easier too. I think once they get there and they see that the potential for having people that were there with them through the thick and thin, totally. uh, you know, that's kind of when they, they'll see that they want those people around them because those people aren't going to bullshit them. 
you know, they're, they're going to be, t- you know, straight up with them. So I think that's one of the reasons why people do eventually come back to that. And, yeah. you know, it is, it's just natural. And, and it's a, it's an experience that nobody can really explain until you experience it yourself, I think. So yeah. I haven't experienced it. I know, you know, you may not know that, but I'm not famous. Uh, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I feel like this podcast is going to make me famous. hundred percent. hundred percent. No. <laughs> but yeah, I do find it fascinating, uh, that sort of thing when you sort of, I mean, I, uh, you know, I met, I met a certain person well before they became probably one of the top leading actors in the industry today. And they were very, very sweet and very kind. And I met him a few times and it wasn't really, it was just that we had the same circle of friends. So it's not like we were mates or anything like that. But um, when you see people like that do well, you just want to, you just, you know, you're happy for them. Like, I think yeah. it's awesome. Like he doesn't talk to, to, I don't think even the same circle of friends that he had at that point in time, but you know, they're still there and they still support him. And, you know, yeah. eventually he'll, he'll probably come back around and, and help them out who knows <laughs> oh totally or even just you know reach back out to connect mm. yeah absolutely yeah so i want to know you said that you got your first short film and you thought that was going to make that was oh, going to totally. make you which oh, i love totally. i love because of course of course that's how you feel when you get your first gig it's the totally. most magical thing that you've been hoping to do your whole life and now you get to do the thing right a hundred percent so what was that moment for you like when you finally got to la and you started pitching yourself like what was the project that you got that made you go oh, i've made it i've now made it i've now I've got this project i haven't had that project yeah <gasps> but you've worked <laughs> so on so many funny. cool things but it never fit you always acclimate to everything as your new normal don't yeah. you true you know so I look at my resume and I'm like oh you know like it's I'm like quantity but where's the you know where's the where's the feature film where I'm the lead and I can show everyone that I'm you know it's just me or or where's the tv series where I'm you know playing this huge role instead of going in and doing three episodes or four episodes wouldn't that be one of your features that you've written (laughs) <laughs> that is true <laughs> there are female protagonists in several of them um but like you know it's I don't know I feel like you're always kind of striving to do more in your career and like yeah I've done a ton of stuff but it, you know it's it's um uh, yeah it's just that I think and I think every I, I mean I remember when I booked that big pilot you know, that I've told you about before, yeah. Jess, and it, it it was like a career maker, you know, quote unquote. But even as I'm on set doing the pilot, I'm thinking, oh, great. So then once I do this show, I'll be able to, you know, imagine the kinds of films I can do in my hiatus and imagine, you know, what, you know, whatever show I'm going to move on to next. You know, you're always sort of thinking of the next level up. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's a big lesson for us, us as actors to, allow ourselves to just enjoy and be in the moment and Mm. and to chill um and it took me it it did take me maybe a week or so you know sitting in the the hotel suite during the shoot you know the five five or six weeks that we were in New Zealand shooting before I was like oh I'm actually just like I'm where I am here right Mm. now this is cool and it but it that consistent need to get to the next goal I suppose is something that James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits you know like it's Mm. it's this you know I guess it's that whole the journey you know the journey over the destination but it really is about just 
who do you want to be each day as opposed to who am I going to be tomorrow? Yeah, it's, it's really true. I, I, I remember talking to someone um, who's, who's quite a very well-known and respected A-list director in Hollywood because uh, he said something that, that kind of piqued my interest. And it was the same sort of thing because I said to him, you know, like, oh, are you at a point even with you and your career and all of the awesome things that you've done and the films that you that everyone loves that are like massive cult classics and on everyone's top ten favourite movies, you know, uh, like after all of that, are you still do you still feel that urgency to like you need to make as as much stuff as you possibly can? You need to get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing because there's just so much that you want to do and so much that you feel like you you need to do and are driven to do. And he was like, absolutely. You know, it 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 was really clear to me that even him on his incredible trajectory that that there's there's never going to be a, a stop, right? It's just going to be yeah. the next thing, the next thing, the next mm-hmm. thing. He's just going to keep climbing and climbing and climbing. And it's such a it's such a validating thing to hear someone of that level of success say totally. because you're like, oh, okay, so this is this is going to be the same for all of us, right? Mm. We now need to just be okay with what we have and enjoy the process yeah. because you don't know what's going to happen next. Oh, dude, I've been in this mad rush with Secret Actor Society to just get everything out of my brain. Like, ev- like I mean, we've got like there's three thousand videos, and I feel like I'm in 500 of them and some of them are like as long and I'm like and I'm just like what what do I know that I can get out of my brain because first of all I'm what I found and part of the urgency of, of building Secret X Society I built it when I was on location shooting that show that same show um because apparently I couldn't just sit in a hotel room for five <laughs> um, and enjoy the moment now <laughs> That's another topic. That's another topic I want to talk to you about, which is resting, because I struggle to rest, and I have a feeling, based on what you've just said, that you might have the same problem. (laughs) Oh, dude, I'm like, I'm having a baby, and I'm like, wow, all these baby clothes I'm picking up on marketplace. Why doesn't someone just open a baby secondhand store where they pay? (laughs) You know, if it was eighty dollars retail, you buy it from people for twenty bucks and sell it for forty, and you know, like everything it's always oh another now I'm working on some water fountain charity on the side and it's driving me crazy with secret exercise because I just want to get everything out of my brain put Mm. it in the thing and then you know go back to writing scripts and and producing stuff because I've just got idea after idea after idea in my brain like just dying to come out and you know it's happened to a couple of them where they've ended up being made by someone else because you know I thought of it 10 years ago and it just you know I think ideas don't come Mm. from us they come through us and so if the ether kind of lets you grab it and and you don't do anything with it I think it sends it along to someone else totally Um, and so uh, you know yeah it's it's frustrating for me that I don't have like when COVID happened I was like Oh, thank goodness. Okay. The world has shut down. <laughs> I can just work for nine months. And I still was like, I was still like, oh, I need more time. Like, I yeah. need more time. Yeah. Same. I was the same. Yeah. Dude. I, and I think for creatives, it's like, it is a bit of that, you know, obviously if you can pay your rent or pay your mortgage and, and get through, uh, you know, and survive, as a creative to be like locked you know I, I used to fantasize about going to prison for a year I'd be like oh I can just sit there and write yes oh, imagine how much I could get done when I was in the 14-day quarantine coming back from when I shot SWAT I was like this is the best 14 days that have mm. ever happened like I was so happy 
in that stupid hotel room all by myself, I was just like, can we extend this? Is there a way to extend this? Maybe I'll just duck back to America again. So <laughs> it's it's, so it's that old joke, isn't it? Right. Like the, the, where the mum says, you know, like, what's it, what's your ultimate fantasy? And she's like, you know, where I'm, I, I get in an accident, but not too injured, but just injured <laughs> enough that I have to be in hospital for a few weeks. And then everyone has to come and look after me and tell me how much they love me. Right? <laughs> That's such a great idea. <laughs> so do we need to do that? Yeah. Next thing, next thing we know, we'll see a news heading: Kim oh Jackson God. injured in car accident. A hundred percent. Not badly, just enough so that she can stay just in hospital, hospital for a few weeks. I'm honestly figuring out how I could make that happen. Jesus. I mean, I'll just have to get pregnant again. Then no one makes you do anything. It's That's the true. best. There you go. Like, oh, no, don't pick that up. It's a plate. <laughs> like, Andrew's like, he won't let me pick anything up when I'm pregnant. I'm just like, all right. I'm not going to complain about that. It took me a couple of months after the birth to, like, get used to lifting anything again because mm. I hadn't touched a thing for, like, a year. I'm like, I'm seven weeks pregnant. I think I can lift this. Okay. I think I've got a plate. Yep. Oh, my God. I think I could even throw it at you if I yes. wanted to. <laughs> that's how you get sure in I'd hospital. Yeah, that's that's how you get in hospital. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or just by, like, laying on the baby's the, the room, the floor of the baby room and him just I, – I have this, like, chiropractic neck roll that I lay – I have to lay on it for, like, 15 or 20 minutes a day because of all the time I've spent, like, this touching over. Yeah. Time. And uh, I lay on it on the floor of the baby's room and just watch him play. And then every now and again, he figures out that I'm there and like comes and crawls on my jugular, <laughs> crushes <laughs> my trachea and like flicks his hair and or then tries to rip my nose off. I didn't, you, no one tells you that babies actually get annoyed by all of your facial features and want to remove them. <laughs> like he's like, why is your nose there? And he's like ripping it and it gets in here. Uh, yeah, trying and to they pull my jaw off. Poke your eyeballs out. Yeah, he was doing this the other yeah. day. I didn't know you could get your finger so far into your eye because I was kind of just letting him because I was, I think I was distracted. And, and, I was, and anyway, my eye didn't fall out. No. Although I think I've just made it red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I could get a minor injury for sure just laying on the baby room floor. Oh, that'll work. Yes. 100%. Don't worry, folks, the conversation doesn't end there. We've had such a wonderful time with our guests that we have actually continued this conversation in part two. So stay tuned to listen to more of The Cutaway Podcast. The Cutaway Podcast is produced by Lucinda Bruce and Jessica Hutchinson. You are listening to our voices because of the delightful and wonderful sound engineer that is Corey Welsh. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Give us five stars if you like what we do. And please share and subscribe. Tell everyone to come and listen to us. The more you promote and love on us, the more we get to do fantastic episodes with our amazing guests. We will see you next time on The Cutaway Podcast. Bye.